This episode brought to you by Audible, and today you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash sports. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 73. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever platform that might be. Thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. First impressions greatly influence how we are treated and viewed in many contexts of everyday life. And our guest this episode, John Rothstein, will leave an impression on you as not only one of the top basketball insiders, but also one of the hardest working people in sports media. Since 2010, John has been with CBS Sports and is a regular studio analyst on Inside College Basketball and is the lead college basketball columnist for FanRag Sports Network. Spending six years as a regular talk show host for ESPN Radio in New York City, he would become the college basketball insider for the MSG Network before making that move to CBS Sports. You can also find him as the host of College Hoops Today podcast on Compass Media Networks, and his print work has been featured on CBSSports.com, FoxSports.com, and Scout.com. Here's episode 73 with John Rothstein. John, thank you so much for being able to take time out of your busy day. I know it might seem like it's slow for you during the summertime as a college basketball insider, but you're always on the go, and one of the things I'm always watching is on social media and with Twitter and the stay hungry, stay humble. So what's the origin with all of that? Yeah, it's a good question, Richmond. And, you know, it's just really, I think, you know, when you start, obviously your quest in broadcasting, you pick up little anecdotes along the way. And the genesis of, you know, a lot of what I try to do on a daily basis is that very quote. I, I remember I was a young reporter at Madison Square Garden working at a radio station in New York, and I was at an NBA press conference, and, you know, there was an NBA head coach there who was talking about a young player who had potential, and he kind of said, somebody asked him, you know, what's the biggest key to that player's career? He's like, he just needs to continue to stay hungry and stay humble, and I wrote it down in my notebook, and it has been a theme and a motto that I've tried to adopt ever since into what I do every single day. Well, I love it because it does motivate me as well. But now I see you have other quotes out there. Do you have a ghostwriter that's helping you put all of these together and put them out? Or is this all you? No, this is all me. And, you know, I've just been somebody who's always been an avid reader and obviously not just the sports. I think, you know, at a younger age, obviously, I read a lot of sports, but I've gravitated into reading different things over the years. And, you know, the habits and obviously the the mottos of highly successful people in, you know, fields all across, you know, really society are similar in a lot of ways. And, you know, I'm always somebody who's, you know, having a pen on them at all times and always being ready to write something down. So I think by doing that, you put yourself in a position to learn every day. There's never a day 
that goes by where I'm not reading and trying to pick up something new. So I think really when you look at things, if you're obviously going to be obviously concerned with getting better and always improving your craft, you're always going to be a willing learner. And to be a willing learner, you have to be a willing reader and a willing listener. Yes, you do. And the other thing that you also share a lot of your knowledge, and that's with restaurants. So what do you take more pride in, the quotes that you have or just the restaurant experiences and being able to share that and give recommendations to people? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the great perks about living and obviously having the opportunity to spend time in New York is, you know, learning, obviously, great restaurants and learning where to eat. And that's been one of the best parts about, you know, living here during my whole professional life. So it's definitely something I don't take for granted. So before this blossomed into where you are now, let's go back in time and look at your childhood and what did that look like and your first experiences with gravitating towards sports? Yeah, you know, great childhood, you know, great family, great parents who I'm still very close to to this day. You know, I'm the son of two teachers, so I grew up in a very middle class home and obviously the the fundamentals of hard work and the fundamentals, obviously, of doing things the right way were put in place at a very early age, you know, by my parents. They made it very clear that, you know, a high standard was going to be set for both myself and my brothers. We would come up through life. And, you know, we played, you know, sports growing up. And that was obviously a big part of, you know, our fabric. But I always was, you know, in tune and infatuated with the broadcasting industry and always felt that, you know, if you could obviously make a living by doing something that you love, you know, it's the American dream. And I find myself now here, you know, almost being in the field for 15 years that you're living the American dream. And it's something that, you know, you have to continue to remind yourself of on a daily basis, because I think human nature obviously comes into effect and we're all human beings. We all obviously, if we're goal oriented people, have goals and aspirations to keep raising the bar. But I think it's important every so often to remind ourselves that at one point in time, what you're doing now and what you've done previously would have constituted your dream job. So I try to never lose sight of that. And what age were you when you felt this passion of this dream job of being in broadcasting? Uh, Younger than 10, younger than 10, for sure. I remember vividly in the 1991 Final Four you know, I remember when Duke beat UNLV and Christian Leitner made those two free throws to end UNLV's 45-game winning, winning streak. I was hooked on college basketball, and, you know, I was still, I think, yet to be eight years old, but I was drawn in by the Final Four and the magnitude of the event. And then, you know, as I started to obviously, you know, get going professionally, my compass pointed more towards college basketball, and it's, you know, the best professional decision I ever made. And what about from a broadcasting perspective? Did you have guys that you wanted to emulate, guys that you looked up to at that early age? Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, there are different people that, you know, I definitely looked at and obviously gravitated to. You know, I was a New Yorker and I lived obviously in the New York metropolitan area. So I always was in the situation where I was listening to Mike and the Mad Dog growing up. And I thought, you know, in the early years of my career, that I was going to gravitate towards talk radio. And I did talk radio for six years in New York and had some opportunities to go to some other markets. And I explored an opportunity with CBS instead, which has been obviously, you know, a tremendous, tremendous place to be for the last couple of years. And, you know, I always, you know, 
thought, though, at an early you know age that you know you can obviously admire different people in your craft, and obviously you know you can obviously have a reverence for certain people, but it's important to be your own person. I think too often people are trying to patent themselves directly after somebody else instead of being their own person, and that's something that I still you know obviously hold true to my heart this day. So now going through high school and deciding to go to college, Ithaca College, now you're telling your parents that I want to be in broadcasting or I want to be in sports talk radio. How did that transform as you're going into college? Well, before my senior year of high school, I uh, you know knew that I wanted to study this in high school. And I wanted to study this in college. And then before I went to college, I was able to write on a freelance basis for a Gannett paper in my area. And I got published a couple of times and was in a situation where I had a byline and that was, you know, a tremendous thrill. And then I, you know, hooked on with a Gannett paper, you know, in Ithaca, New York, where I was going to school. And that obviously led to more bylines. And that obviously was in addition to everything I was doing on campus with the school radio station and stuff with the school television station, the school paper. So I had everything, you know, aligning in a certain, you know, in a certain alignment. And that was obviously something that I was very excited about. And then I was interning at the Yes Network, you know, for a couple of summers in between college. I only had two summers in between college because I finished school in three years. And I was able to convince my bosses for YesNetwork.com to let me write and let me cover the NBA draft, just like they were doing for ESPN.com. And I had my own mock draft on YesNetwork.com. And you know, I was 19 or 20 years old and it was just, I just remember the feeling that I had seeing that stuff, you know, online. It was, you know, I was very grateful to get those opportunities and I still am to this day. I think there's somewhat of you had some opportunities, but took advantage of it. And obviously you're an overachiever finishing college in three years. I don't know how you were able to do that. And so what was that like in terms of the load that you had to take to do that in three years? Well, you know, being somebody who I said, you know, earlier was an avid reader and is an avid reader, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from, you know, President Kennedy, we must use time as a tool, not as a couch. And, you know, I was still able to be in a position to, you know, be social, obviously, in college and make friends of college and do things like that. But I just didn't have any free time. And all of my time was be, all of my time was being maximized. So I might have went to a party to see people at eleven o'clock and I was done, you know, doing what I had to do at ten fifty five. And I might have been I might have been in a situation where, you know, I obviously, you know, didn't have class, I remember one semester until you know, 12 o'clock, this was my last year of college. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, would sleep till 10 or 11 and just roll up to campus. I remember getting up at six or six 30, going to the gym, working out, showering, eating breakfast, and then being in the library from, you know, nine to 1130 or so, and just knocking out all my work. And then when I was you know done with my courses and I went to, you know, my work study job, you know, all my work was done. So I learned through that experience to put up myself in a situation where I was always managing my time. And those attributes and those skills that I learned from finishing school early are things that I really, you know, put as part of the backbone of my foundation this day. And it's, 
it's carried all over, you know, tremendously into my professional work and, you know, the way I write and the way I prepare for everything. Well, I need you to talk to my son, who's going to be a freshman at Clemson this fall, because I keep preaching about this time management aspect, because I learned the hard way when I was at Clemson. So I need you to share with your experiences with him (laughs) that it can be done. No problem. Anything you need. (laughs) That's right. So now, in terms of preparation, how are you going through your preparation throughout the year? Because, I mean, you do extensive podcasting, also articles that you mentioned about breakdown of conferences, the teams within the conferences, and interviews with coaches. So how are you preparing each day, each week, and through the year? Well, the pressure is not on us to perform in broadcasting. The pressure is on us to prepare, and confidence comes from preparation. And I take a lot of pride and a lot of pleasure in preparing each and every single day for the work I'm doing. This is a 365-day-a-year job. There's never a day where I'm not thinking or studying or learning about college basketball. So every conversation that I have, you know, is carried over to what I do for CBS Sports on television or what I do, obviously, on my podcast or what I put in my columns and on Twitter. So for me, it's just continuing every single day to expand your knowledge base and expand the depth of your knowledge. So that's something that I look as a continual conversation 365 days a year. And I think, you know, you've got to be in a situation too. I remember my parents told me this at a young age. We all, as I talked about, are going to be in a situation where you want to continue to achieve. And that's natural in any profession. But you never want to be in a situation where you want where you sit back and say, you know, I could have gotten that opportunity if I did X, Y, or Z, and I didn't. So I make, you know, sure each and every year that I'm wringing out the sponge and, you know, all of my superiors know that I'm doing every single thing I can possibly do to help their network, to help their website, to do anything to make it as best as possible again. And then I hope every season I get the benefit of the doubt. I see your work out there consistently. So I know that's part of it, just being consistent. But now, how did you go from Ithaca to actually getting into sports talk radio? What was that pathway like? Well, in 2004, there was a contest at ESPN Radio in New York called Dream Job, which was a spinoff of the television Dream Job. So I entered and I remember I won four days after my 21st birthday and I got an opportunity to be on the air with ESPN Radio in New York. And I was on the air and I was, you know, doing updates eventually on the holidays and it was unbelievable. And while it was great and a tremendous opportunity, you know, I still at the same time, you know, was becoming a young professional and had expenses and had things that needed to be covered. So in addition to working part-time at the radio station, I started working for my friend's brother who had a mortgage and real estate company and trying to make some money there. And then I started, you know, writing for foxsports.com college basketball on a freelance basis. And then I also used some of the money that I was making from all that to buy airtime at a radio station in Westchester County outside, just outside New York. And I did a show once a week, every Tuesday at 11 o'clock. And, you know, I was juggling all these things and, you know, living with my parents and trying to make ends meet. And after a year or so, maybe a year and a half of doing all that, I was up for a morning drive show in Philadelphia, which is now the ESPN radio affiliate in Philadelphia. And I didn't get that. And then I was up for an update job at the ESPN radio affiliate 
in Boston and I didn't get that. And then I remember WGN radio in Chicago had, you know, a uh, opening for a sports reporter. And I, uh, I went after that hard and I thought I had a pulse on that and I didn't get it. And then after all that, my bosses at ESPN radio in New York brought me back as the weekend update anchor. So on Saturday and Sunday afternoons, you know, every 20 minutes I would do the sports updates. And then it's about six months of doing that and can continuing to, you know, write college basketball on a freelance basis, the MSG network in New York uh, had, you know, a void for a college basketball information person during the Big East tournament and the NCAA tournament in 2007. And March 7th, 2007 was my, uh, my first television appearance. And then I was there for about three years. And then I went to CBS Sports in 2010. That is true reality in terms of, it seems in this type of industry, that it's not just a overnight thing. It is a grind. It is a grind. And, you know, the, the biggest thing that I would, you know, that I tried to share with younger people and, you know, people who want to do this for a living is to understand that dreams can come true, but also understand that there's no magic wand. There's no magic stuff that's going to make this happen. You yourself are always in control of your own dreams and you're going to dictate that by how hard you work. And for people out there that are obviously, you know, frustrated because there are certain people obviously whose father or uncle or brother know somebody and they get an opportunity to be ahead. I'd like to, you know, obviously relay them to them, my story, because, you know, I didn't have a rabbi. I didn't have a priest. I didn't have a godfather. <laughs> I was able to get where I am simply based on my own merit. And, you know, that out of everything that I've gone through the last 15 years is something that I always, you know, remind people when they think about, you know, using the term, well, it's not what, you know, it's who, you know, like I, with somebody who, you know, had to deal with all that and was still able to get the opportunities that I got. Were there any self-doubts, though, when you're getting turned down for some of those opportunities that you described? I think the hardest part was this, and I think this is natural. You know, I finished school in three years. I come home, you know, to my parents. We live in a suburb of New York City, and I think I have all the answers, and the truth is I have none of the answers. And <laughs> at the same time, that was a point in my life where I wanted to live on my own. I wanted to be able to do things with people my age. And, you know, I didn't want to live with my parents anymore. And I wanted to start my career and I couldn't do any of those things. I couldn't, you know, get an apartment with a couple of friends because for all intents and purposes, I could have gotten a call and say, Hey, we need you right now for this weekend talk show job in Cleveland or Cincinnati or Baltimore. And I would have to pick up and go. So I think it was difficult because I had to put really everything else in my life on hold because I was trying to build my career. But, you know, we all are, you know, striving, obviously, to do more with our lives. And you learn after a while that you can't be who you're supposed to be without calluses. Yes, that is so true. And that time that you win the competition, do you remember what set you apart from everybody else? You know, I, I just like to think that, you know, my experiences, you know, helped. And I was somebody who was, you know, training for years at Ithaca College to be a broadcaster. So I had been in front of a microphone before. I wasn't somebody just entering the contest as, you know, somebody who was working, you know, in regular America. I had, you know, prepped to be in that situation. And I, and I wore a suit and tie 
both to the audition and to the final round because I've always felt that, you know, there's nothing stronger than the potential to make a good first impression. So still to this day, I won't step foot on a college campus, you know, if I can obviously help it without wearing a suit. I just feel like, especially now since I'm representing CBS, you know, your first impression is always the most important impression. Yes, it is. And have you ever gone back and listened to that first time that you were on air? No, I haven't, you know, to be honest with Richmond. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that, you know, looking forward is the only way, you know, that, you know, really that's a healthy way to live life. And, you know, there are people, I think, you know, that want to reminisce and people who want to, like, you know, spend time talking the past, you know, I'm not one of those people because I think, you know, we're constantly changing. We're constantly trying to get better and we're constantly trying to adapt to our surroundings. And I'm going to give you a, uh, another president Kennedy quote. And as you can tell probably by now that I'm uh, an ardent, ardent, you know, president, the president Kennedy, president <laughs> Kennedy fan, uh, change is the law of life. And those who look only to the past of the president are almost certain to miss the future. And, do you miss sports talk radio, though? I think there are days when there's a really there's a really hot topic, and you really are like, oh, I wish I could be behind a microphone right now. But my passion in college basketball, my you know, gas in the engine and stuff like that. The thing that lights me up is college basketball. You know, I was talking uh, to my girlfriend a couple of days ago, and she has a wedding in Greece in September. And, you know, I was saying, I was like, that's great. You know, I'd much rather watch Kentucky practice right now. She looked at me like I was weird and I was crazy, but that's (laughs) the way, that is the way I feel right now. I would much rather be in Lexington, Kentucky to see John Calipari in Kentucky practice than I would to go to Minkinos or a place like that. It's just the way that I'm wired. So to answer your question, no, I, I don't miss talk radio, but the people that have done talk radio successfully for a long time, I mean, I talked about how I would like to be, you know, behind the microphone and there's a big topic, but the people that have been successful, people like, you know, Mike Francesca, Chris Russo, all these years, they're people that have been good when there isn't a great topic. And that's a special, special skill. So I am much happier right now being where I am, being, you know, in a studio for CBS Sports, doing my podcast and working on the information side in the college basketball world. And what was your goal with the your podcast that you just mentioned, the College Hoops Today? What were you setting out to do by starting that? I just knew that I had built a strong network and a strong Rolodex in college basketball. And I wanted, you know, the opportunity to uh, each week be in a situation where I could get a, a high level guest and, you know, get, you know, in a scenario where I could, you know, talk to these people each and every week and have an audio format where I could, you know, talk to coaches and give insight and my thoughts. And, you know, I'm very, you know, blessed and very, you know, grateful that Peter Kosan, that, you know, my boss at Compass Media gave me that opportunity a couple of years ago. It's been a great platform. What about the hardest interview you've had to get? Who's been a real challenge? Great question. I was uh, a young broadcaster, I think one of my first season at CBS, and I remember I, uh, I did about a 30 minute sit down with Bob Knight, and I had known Coach Knight, you know, from other situations, but this is the first time we we're, or second, it's the first time we were doing something in a serious on camera way, and he's obviously, you know, a, a larger than life figure, but I'm always going to treasure that I got the opportunity to, you know, meet him, spend time with him, and of course, interview him. 
Now, how often are you traveling these days to go to some of these practices and continue in your prep? You know, it, it varies. I was just in California, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I saw a couple of schools out there, and I'll usually see about 30 to 40 schools in person before the season starts in November. So I think it's all spread out between now and obviously when things kick off. Well, March Madness, when it rolls around, I imagine your phone is blowing up all the time, text, people asking you, I need help with the tournament pool or whatever. So how is it in terms of, do you feel the pressure to get your picks right and to provide all this information to people? Is it pressure packed for you? It's not pressure packed, I think, once you've done it a couple of times, because you realize you're never going to be right. The more you know, the worse you do. And for all intents and purposes, this is about, this is, you know, mad March madness for a reason. It's entitled madness for a reason. And that's what I think makes it so compelling for everybody to watch. I mean, you know, I don't think there's anybody that felt last year that, you know, UMBC was going to beat Virginia after Virginia coasted to the ACC regular season title and tournament title. But that is what makes the NCAA tournament so unique. It makes it, you know, obviously one of the great, you know, I think the greatest, you know, spectacle we have in sports. One of the other questions I have for you, though, John, in terms of the tournament and, you know, there's obviously each year a lot of banter going back and forth. What team should have made it or what team that made it shouldn't have made it? So why doesn't the NCAA committee have analysts like yourself on the committee who you guys live and breathe watching all of these games and know these teams in and out? I can't answer that for you, buddy. I can't tell you, you know, why the NCAA, the NCAA, you know, committee, I know people on that committee and I, you know, respect, you know, them, you know, wholeheartedly, but I can't answer that. That's above my pay grade. Well, we need to get you on there. We need to start a petition and start a movement to get John Rothstein on the committee. I'm, I'm pushing for it. That's it. You can be my PR guy. <laughs> All right. Now, what about teams that you grew up idolizing or were there teams from a pro perspective or a college perspective that you were fans of growing up? You know, I was probably the biggest New York Knicks fan on the planet in my formative years. But as soon as I started working, you know, in a professional landscape, you know, I, I couldn't obviously, you know, obviously echo those same sentiments because I was a professional. So my first boss in radio, a gentleman by the name of Mike Thompson, told me that there's going to become a point where your fandom dissipates and you put all that energy into your career. And I saw that at an early age. And, you know, I think that's exactly what happens to most people. And you're so caught up with, you know, your own quest and your own journey and trying to build your own brand that, you know, you kind of go back to the scene in a Bronx tale with Chaz Palminteri when, you know, he's with the kid in that bar and the kid is a diehard Yankee fan. And, the kid, you know, is talking to Chad Palminteri, who in the movie, of course, is Sonny. And he says, you know, I can't believe the Yankees lost. They said the Mick was crying and he was referring to Mickey Mantle. And he goes, you think Mickey Mantle's going to pay your rent? And that's kind of the best way to say it. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, you have to say, like, you know, we've got our own self. We've got our own, you know, self to worry about. You know, we're not going to have to throw a bake sale for the Knicks if they lose a game. <laughs> That's right. Now, what's been your, if you can nail it down, I know you might not be able to, but what are your favorite interviews that you've had for the podcast or just one of your favorite interviews that you've had overall? That is a, uh, a great question. I interviewed Coach Calipari for CBS before 
they went on the run in 11-12 to win a national championship. And that was a was an interview that I definitely will always remember and cherish. And as part of our Men of March series for CBS Sports, I interviewed Tommy Amaker, that coach at Harvard. And talking to him, not just about, you know, his situation at Harvard, but, you know, his evolution from being somebody who played at Duke to somebody who was a successful coach at Seton Hall to somebody who, you know, went to Michigan and Harvard. That is something else too, that I will cherish and, you know, be very, be very, very, you know, grateful that I get, you know, that I got that opportunity and would love to do it again someday if I could. How hard is it being able to get these coaches to open up and maybe sometimes they're viewing you as an outsider. So how do you go about that? It's an unbelievable challenge, but it's the challenge and the pressure that I think you crave if you're in this business. The, I remember when I was working at MSG Network, I worked very closely with Al Troutwig, who's a legend in this business. And we had done some work together on the NBA. And he and I were you know, working on a show where the Knicks had just announced Donnie Walsh as their president of basketball operations. And when you looked at you know, the scenario, like Al was somebody who had done everything in this business, had done every sport, the Yankees, the Mets, the Jets, the Knicks, the Islanders, the Rangers, and he was getting ready to interview Donnie Walsh, and I was getting up from the desk, and Donnie was going to sit down, and he said to me before Donnie got down there, it's my challenge now to reinvent the wheel. And I said, what do you mean? He said, John, he has been right now with every print reporter, he's gotten local one-on-ones with all the New York reporters, and I've got to get something else out of him. I've got to ask him something that hasn't been asked, and that's that's what I live for right now—to try and extract things that you know coaches haven't said and get out, try to get them away from doing quote-unquote coach, coach speak. Now, what about from when you look back through your career all the way back to childhood and where you are now? How has sports played such a big role in your life and what it's meant to you? I mean, I think that and this is the best way I can say it. I think that sports was something that I always wanted to work in. And sports was something that I always wanted to make my vocation. And I've been fortunate enough that that's been the case. And now I would say that, you know, because I'm in such a tight area of sports, I really only focus on college basketball. Like I'm in a scenario where I, you know, really only cover one sport and I focus on that sport. And obviously because of the broadcasting experience that I have, I can do freelance things. I remember when Adam Zucker, who's obviously the host of the SEC on CBS and one of my best friends in life now, his wife's water broke and CBS, you know, sports network needed somebody to fill in and host the NFL draft shows. And I had a day of prep, but you know, I, I was able to do it. I can do things like that, you know, just because of the broadcasting background that I have, but you know, I focus on college basketball and now as I've gotten a little bit older, my perspective has changed. You know, you kind of realize that if you don't have to watch the NFL, you know, maybe you won't watch the NFL. Maybe you'll go to a museum. Maybe you'll go to a movie. Maybe you'll talk to people about things outside the sport. And I remember I was spending time with Ben Howland, who was that UCLA coach, not a Mississippi State coach. And we were talking about being more balanced. And I went through a stretch 
I think after, you know, just really thinking about things differently, it's maybe I'm better off going to weddings and going to parties and going to <laughs> things of that nature and starting conversations about whether or not Phil Collins was better with or without Genesis, whether it was better, better with a band or better on his own or talking about, you know, maybe, you know, the difference, you know, in the uses of abstract during exhibits, either at the museum of modern art or things like that versus only focus, you know, on sports. And look, I'm not going to lie. You know, there are often times where I've been at weddings and, you know, I've been present at the table, but I've been thinking about, you know, how Creighton was going to use their spacing on offense. Those things, you know, have all happened, but I'm much more cognizant of as, as I've gotten older about making room for other things in life, because if you don't have that balance, if you don't have that opportunity to spend time with people outside of basketball, the days, the weeks, the months, the years are all going to pass. Yes. And so it sounds like, John, that you need to take that trip to Greece for that wedding rather than go watch Kentucky practice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still don't think I can do that. But that's, uh, but, that's, but that's a perfect example because that's, I don't want to say it's a point of contention, but, you know, especially, you know, when you're in a relationship as I'm in right now, you know, my girlfriend, she, she knows me, but if she's surprised at that answer, she probably doesn't know me well enough to think that I wouldn't would want to go to Lexington, Kentucky to go to, uh, you know, the craft center and watch this version of Kentucky get ready for the season versus go to Greece. That's right. Well, wrapping up, and you here, can quote me. You can quote me on that if you, whenever you want. Whenever, whenever you want, if you want to put this out, I will. I will make sure that we broadcast that loud and clear. <laughs> and wrapping up, John, and obviously we've talked through many of your words of wisdoms and your quotes that you like, especially with President Kennedy. But can you share just another? words of wisdom or, you know, a phrase or quote that has also meant a lot to you in your life? There, there's definitely a lot. Um, one is by Max Dupree. We can't become, you know, what we need to be by remaining what we are. And then I, I think, too, one of the things that I, you know, felt victim of, and I think it's totally human nature to do this, is I thought once I reached a certain point in my career, I was going to feel different as a person. And the truth is we never cross a goal line. We never get to a point where we feel like we've accomplished everything. We don't arrive in life. We're always becoming. And there's a quote by Nelson Mandela that I love. After climbing a great hill, one only finds that there are many more hills to climb. And getting back to our conversation about how, you know, people sometimes reminisce or live in the past and so on and so forth. There's one by Walt Disney that I always try and, you know, read every now and again. I do not like to repeat successes. I like to go on to other things. You're a walking dictionary of words of wisdom and quotes, John. And I love it because I thrive on those type of things just to keep me motivated as we're going through this grind of life that we've talked about. That's just the reality of it. And and John, you've been part of my journey now and this podcasting journey that I'm that I'm on, and I greatly appreciate it. As my college basketball expert, I can't thank you enough for your time, Richmond. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you reaching out, and uh, hopefully, we can uh, stay connected uh, in the future. Now it's hard to tell what John enjoys more: college basketball or hard work. But one thing is for certain. 
He's excellent at both. Through his journey, his hard work and preparation didn't always guarantee that he would be offered that next job that he was pursuing, but it did put him in the position of always being ready for any other opportunities that might come about, and also another chance for him to make a great first impression. Now that finishes episode 73, and remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 